man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, we have Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Well, I'll tell you what's good is a movie that is dropping this Friday that I think if you are a fan of the Before Trilogy and movies like it that we're talking about where uh, people talk and reflect and make life changes in beautiful European cities, uh, I would recommend a new movie called The August Version uh, V-I-R-G-I-N. Uh, it's about a uh, woman who's about to turn, I think, 33 or 32. And um, she is basically uh, at a crossroads in her life. She's been an actress. She doesn't really want to be one anymore. And so she decides to stay in Madrid in August, which nobody who lives in Madrid actually does because it's so flipping hot. They all like run to the beach or the mountains or something. And uh, so being in a familiar city and unfamiliar circumstances allows her to kind of look at things in a new way and, you know, meet new people and explore where things might go next. And it's a very kind of ambling, shaggy, walk and talk kind of movie the way these are. And it's gorgeous. And it broke my heart because I miss being in Spain so much and just miss being in crowded restaurants so much. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Dropping on Friday. You can rent it via Lumley Theaters or Lincoln Center, a lot of different places. Uh, the August Virgin. Mm. I want you to know I'm picturing her as the younger version of Margot Martindale in Je t'aime Paris, which <laughs> but, is like uh, in a, my in favorite. A in a better mood. <laughs> in a better mood. Okay, good. Ooh, yes. And you already got a sneak peek at another one of my friends. That is Drea Clark. Drea, what's good? Um, You know, I can't resist. I mean, I can't not <laughs> remark. If I could bring up Margot Martindale, I will, damn it. Hell um, yeah, what's, yeah, right? What's good with me is Tom and Lorenzo. Um, TomandLorenzo.com is this fantastic fashion website run by these two gentlemen who in interviews are like, if you wanted gay uncles who can walk you through the particulars of like haute couture and different houses. And because there's not been a lot of red carpets for them to dissect, they've started doing some series of films and TV. So they do a great wrap up. They just did on Lovecraft County's um, costumes in its first episode, but they have, what did I say? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovecraft country. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the web series. Yeah, I watch. I'm watching a a much smaller one. Yeah, no, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, and um, but they also have a series they're doing just called One Iconic Look. So they did like Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl with her leopard coat and Mm. Tippi Hedren. Like, there's just these really specific things, and they do a deep dive into the designer, and then also into how costume design affects what we know about characters, what we're told about them. And so anyway, I find it infinitely fascinating and they're great dudes. So Tom and Lorenzo are good for me. (laughs) Uh, And of course we have a special guest friend in the booth. It's writer host of full court chat with Dave Schilling. It's Dave Schilling. What's good? Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Yeah, this is my second time on the show. I was saying Mm. before that the last time I was on here, we were talking about Ready Player One, which was a movie Mm. I didn't like, 
So this was a much better experience for me seeing a movie <laughs> that I do like. And uh, what's good is uh, after we finished watching, my girlfriend and I finished watching Before Sunset, we watched uh, Two Days in Paris, which is also a Julie Delpy movie that she wrote and directed that's kind of semi-autobiographical and uh, stars her parents, uh, playing her parents. And I always loved that movie as a kid, and uh, not as a kid, but, you know, like a college student, uh, a budding cineast. And uh, it's just, it, was a, it was a delight to, to revisit that. And it's, it's similar to before the Before trilogy because it's about, you know, um, characters wandering beautiful European cities. But it's more cinematic and it's more narrative-based and a little less shaggy and ambly and uh i just love that movie and adam goldberg should work more i like that guy as an actor he used to be in so many things yeah adam in everything. Yeah. yeah last time i saw him i think was in god friended me which dave oh. and i were hate watching for a while before it got oh, canceled oh, mother. <laughs> he was I mean, the I show's would, not Zucker, zuckerberg i would have happily worked on that show let's just say that but at the same time <laughs> oof, what the my god Iffy, what's good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this uh, on last week's pod, but I did get a bidet. I have installed a tushy bidet, and your boy's ass has never been cleaner. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, you know, both using the bidet, both waking up and forgetting not to turn the knob as uh, firmly and getting uh, blasted in my ass every now morning. you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, like it's such a delicate like there's it's kind of like, you know, how we, when you're in the house and it's like you turn the knob and it's perfect temperature and if you turn it like a centimeter more it's like blazing hot mm. like that's the pressure knob on this thing where if <laughs> you're just it's just a hello um, <laughs> I, said, I, I have a bidet related question real quick uh i've used them Ooh, a couple times I'm your guy. and uh you know when it's over you got a soggy butt so what do you do you no you still, you still use you still use white. so it's not yeah, a replacement it's a, it's, for it is a supplement to yeah two. you just use less okay got it because it's like you know it's like one boop, square you know, is like gonna a get couple it done. Now, yeah. now you're blotting basically. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly okay okay but before you know you're doing you're doing cleanup crew work yeah. and not not anymore and you feel it's so i just feel so superior to most men because most men have gross asses yes yeah. and i'm not one of them anymore uh, I am a clean ass man. <laughs> As people would say at cocktail parties, I love that for you. <laughs> You're glowing. Just, oh. the, the Just reality wait till is, I'm able to go outside. Yeah, All if, the ladies if anybody know. thinks this is something iffy, would not talk about it at a cocktail party. They are sorely mistaken. <laughs> has has yeah. he been oh, invited to a cocktail party before? <laughs> I mean, I've I've definitely crashed enough of them. Uh, you know, personally invited a couple. Uh, he would be throwing a housewarming for the bidet. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm trying to imagine you as a as a background extra in like a Thin Man movie with like Nick and Nora Charles. Stop! Yes, yes. And then and then someone and then you get someone who can read lips who's just like, wait, I'm sorry, go back. <laughs> is everybody seeing that guy in the background? Hold on. He's definitely... Why is there a black dude at this party? <laughs> and why is he talking about how clean his ass is? Does he... My ass is so is clean. Is he the valet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of valets, uh, there was an unfortunate person stuck driving around a couple reconnecting in the movie that we're talking about today. Because oh, today iffy. we're talking about the second installment of the Before Trilogy, Before Sunset. That was solid. I don't know that, what you're that, 
that segue was like the lean in the matrix when he's trying to avoid the bullets. <laughs> you were like, oh, I'm going to make this transition work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't worry. That was that was definitely a artful. Yeah, that was, uh, that was like know, man on wire. The range. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But also, we're going to be adapting before sunset into a video game which i'm hyped about uh because i have gonna, thoughts I think believe I'm it or not oh yeah i have <laughs> lots of thoughts and then of course we have our staff picks but first it's time for our new segment it a dick short for is this important do i care each of us will read a new segment and answer the question is this important and do i care since we're talking about before sunset which came out in 2004 all of our news items will be from that year as well so it'll be more of a was this important and did you care if uh, if i may gentlemen mm-hmm. i'd love to talk about this first item oh, um yeah. then do do i i will okay So 2004, the year of the movie that we're talking about, a very important year in history because it was Mm. the year of the end of Bennifer, Ben Mm. Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. I'm sure everybody's favorite um, famous couple in history, you know, talking of the Nick and Norris, like Ben (laughs) and Jen, this was it. So they began dating in 2002. They got engaged. They broke the wedding off four days before it was scheduled to happen. And then they stayed together and broke up in 2004. No one knows why they split exactly, but a lot of people speculate it was due to the insane media coverage and Ben Affleck's gambling addiction, all caps. All in all, they made two wonderful movies together. Gigli, Gigli, Gigli? Gigli. Gigli, right? Okay. Gigli and Jersey Girl. And one sexy music video for the Jennifer Lopez song, Jenny from the block. Guys, was this important? Did you care? I I have to take advantage of this opportunity to speak up for Jersey Girl, Mm. which (laughs) if you've only seen the theatrical release and you think it's terrible, you're right. But there exists the Kevin Smith director's cut and it is the best Kevin Smith movie. And I keep waiting for the way that like they 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 rescued fifty four out of the Miramax vaults and gave us uh, uh, Mark Christopher's cut of that movie that was not the Harvey Scissorhands version. I want that so much for Jersey Girl because uh, because of the Benefer thing, like for that that very phenomenon, they made him kill off Jennifer uh, Lopez's character in like fifteen or twenty minutes. In in the Smith cut, she doesn't die for like forty five minutes. So she actually gets to be a character. She gets to exist in this movie. And it is like her best post out of sight performance. She is funny. She's smart. She and Affleck have genuine on-screen chemistry. Her death then means something at that point in the film and it colors the rest of the movie. And it is, people roll their eyes at me when I say this, but I'm serious. If we ever get to see the uncut Jersey Girl, it is like the lost masterpiece of the Kevin Smith filmography. Wow, those words together make me quiver. The lost (laughs) masterpiece of Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. I've never heard this. I mean, I knew that there there was, it was cut, but I didn't know there was, there was an actual cut out there that, you know, I honestly thought you meant you were fascinated to hear about Benifer because you had never <laughs> yeah, heard about too. that. I was so... and I was like... I, hold on. <laughs> what? I know. I know this I youthful was, baby I... face is deceptive, but I'm 36. I, 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 I didn't hate Jersey Girl, but I do wonder, like, 
would Kevin Smith's career be different if his cut came out and people didn't immediately throw up all over it? Probably. I I have to wonder. Like, I think it could have, he could have pivoted in a whole other direction. And then once that didn't happen, it was like, fuck it, Tusk. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to do podcasts <laughs> and I'm going to do stand up and I'm going to wear increasingly large uh, hockey jerseys. But, you know, bless, I mean, bless him. yeah, bless and, him. And, and his, and his jorts. I love his jorts. Yeah, and the tweet I'll, I'll, and the tweet. It, the t- oh, oh no! Yeah, yeah, Don't no! <laughs> I resent all of you for hijacking this banner for a moment and making it a Kevin Smith one. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. So I, I was hewing to topic and then it just went off on a rail. I'm sorry. I guess I'll take this next one because because uh, you know that the, this was a this was a real moment. Uh, in 2004, there were several unlikely movie hits. The Michael Moore documentary Fahrenheit 9/11, which offered a very critical look at the Bush administration, won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival and grossed $222.4 million and became the highest grossing documentary ever. But The Passion of the Christ, I was very into. Uh, a Mel Gibson movie about the death of Jesus, which grossed $622.3 million worldwide, which became the highest grossing Christian film of all time. Left Behind was Left Behind. Uh, and Napoleon Dynamite. A small Sundance indie grossed $46.1 million on a $400,000 budget and was quoted by high school boys ad nauseum. Do you want to know what grade I was in when this movie came out in 2004? I was in high school boys. I am the boy in this uh, in this description. And I had a vote for Pedro shirt. I was just uh, going to ask you that. Did. Of yes, course I did you have a vote for Pedro. Yeah, time. I was. This was my movie. But also Passion of the Christ. This was like at this weird point right before I lost religion. I was like still barely hanging on. And I was... I cried when um, when when uh, they spit in Jesus's face, and I was like, "This is so deep that no studio wanted to finance this." And Mel Gibson went and did God's work, and uh, like I was, oh, this is this is just the perfect amalgamation of how insufferable I was in high school. <laughs> A huge fan of both Napoleon Dynamite and the passion of Christ. Uh, and I just was so touched by Mel Gibson's story, even though he would want me to stay as far back away from him as possible uh, because he's afraid that a pack of me's are going to come after uh, his, uh, his ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> if he wanted away a pack of me's, oh my God. Was this important? Did you care? I find these interesting. It's such a... The idea of the unexpected hit is always kind mm-hmm. of a delight. These are also a great, each of them had such a different pathway in. Napoleon Dynamite, we programmed the short of that at Slamdance the year before, which is how they got the funding to make the feature that played Sundance. And MTV Films released this. It was a very big new branch for them. And it was one of those like, oh. People tried to replicate that. Alonzo can attest as well. The mm. amount of Napoleon Dynamite ripoffs I still look at for festivals cannot be like quantified. But so that and then you get your the Fahrenheit 9-11 completely fueled by liberals furious with the absolute non-accountability of the Bush administration. And we're just like, <laughs> like that was as a religious experience for many people of like, Yes, let me go and watch and shake my hands in communion with many people over the furiousness 
that I just have coursing through me with no recourse. And then the Passion of the Christ established this idea. If you look at how they targeted and have taken advantage of evangelical communities and audiences, like that's, I mean, there's smart money there. And they all have the idea of like, this is the story Hollywood doesn't want you to see because it's God's story. But both of those movies, I think, are opposite sides of the same coin, really. I mean, like, you've yeah. got blues for Blue State America, Fahrenheit 9-11 is, oh, they don't want you to see this. They're trying to ban this. You know, this is, we, you know, you're, we're going to rev up your anger. And then for Red States, Passion of the Christ, same thing. Oh, the Hollywood doesn't want you to see this and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So they they were, they both, Michael Moore and Mel Gibson, like, should share a drink somewhere because they both played uh, their side of the Mel aisle. Maybe Mel Gibson shouldn't have any drinks. Ah! <laughs> well, <laughs> drinks for Mel. Uh, an ice cream sundae then. There we go. But uh, <laughs> here's, a, here's the thing. I have never seen Napoleon Dynamite nor The Passion of the Christ. Wow. <laughs> really? Both Twist. those movies, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the, the weird thing is I did have to wind up reviewing a bunch of other films that the Hesses wound up making. So like I had mm-hmm. to endure Gentleman Broncos and Austin Land and Oof, I despise boy. those movies. Yikes. Austin <laughs> like, Land I'm, was such a sad I, disappointment for I me. am in no hurry to go back and watch Napoleon and Dynamite based on their subsequent Yeah, I, amazing to me how big that movie was and then how little they were able to accomplish after. And not because they were untalented, it's just because that was lightning in a bottle and those things yeah, happen yeah. all the time in Hollywood where you have this one thing that's so powerful and so inspiring to millions of people and then it's just you can never recapture that in any Chase way. Chase that dragon. You can even do yeah. a cartoon version of that on Fox and people will be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm we're good. Alright, well, uh, you know, on that note, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be talking about Before Sunset, just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors. and Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor, and I'm a medical enthusiast, and we create Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week, I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately, we do a lot of modern fake medicine. Because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Dave Schilling. Alonzo Duraldi. And today we're talking about Before Sunset, Alonzo. Would you mind providing us with a synopsis? Sure. So it's uh, it's nine years since the events of Before Sunrise. Uh, Jesse is in Paris finishing off a book tour about his new novel that is very much about the events of Before Sunrise. Uh, and as he's polishing off an interview with Shakespeare and Company, who should appear? But Celine, he has not seen her in all that time. They've had no way of getting in touch with each other. And so uh, in the few hours that he has before he has to go to the airport to catch his flight, to go back to New York City, they walk and talk again to get to know each other, to get caught up, to see what's going on in their lives. She admits that she did not uh, meet up at the, uh, at the for their rendezvous at the train station in Vienna because her grandmother died. He at first lies and says he didn't either, but no, no. 
He did. Uh, and pretty much his entire life since then has been one long series of regrets that the two of them didn't get together. Um, they they playfully needle each other. They make revelations about their lives. And by the end, we wonder, could they perhaps this time make it work? Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. Uh, I think before I get jump into this, because I have so many thoughts and I just know why I'm connecting with this freaking trilogy so much. But Dave, what is your relationship with these movies? I loved uh, the first two. And I will say I have not seen Before Midnight yet. I will watch it now subsequently because I feel like I'm exactly the 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 mental headspace and, and the uh, maturity level to see that third one. Um, I envy you getting to see it for the first time. I'm excited. Um, these movies were great because I was the kid in school who wanted to write the movies where people just talked and did nothing else <laughs> but like have fun, interesting conversations. And for there to be romance and beautiful settings and, and whatnot. And Julie Delpy is just a treasure in, in, in everything that she's in and especially here. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I've grown up since, since that and, and have maybe more, I wouldn't say sophisticated expectations, but more, um, mechanical expectations of how movies work. Whereas when I was first, you know, in high school or film school and, and learning about all this stuff, I was, you know, interested in the form being less rigid. And now I guess that because I'm in LA and working in the entertainment industry, as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking, oh, I wish that there was a story, which is funny because before I didn't care and now I kind of do, but these movies are important regardless because they really do track human emotional and uh, development and maturity in such a way that's very powerful. I find it, I'm with you on the, because we touched last week on Before Sunrise, and there was something about the, the, it's just an A to B story, right? There's not, ooh, they're doing this and they're also solving clues from national treasures or whatever. <laughs> like, it's just the A to B. The The thing that Before Sunset did that I had completely forgotten about till I watched this, because I watched these as they came out and haven't really revisited. I forgot that Before Sunset took place essentially in real time. Yep. That, yeah. you know, we meet, we meet Jesse at this bookstore at the end of this signing and the end of this tour. And then we are with the two of them together before he's supposed to head to the airport. And I forgot. And I liked just that was enough for me, like just adding that sort of time frame. And it gave just enough of urgency that the first one obviously had the same kind of ticking bomb at the end that you knew you had to like, <laughs> oh, he has to go here. And, she, you know, he's. And so this one had the same thing, but by making it real time, it like just shifted enough what they were doing that it gave all of their conversations were so supercharged. But the realism from the first one and the magic was totally here. Like this one's my favorite one, I think. I don't know. Maybe they're all my favorite. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Dave, that you mentioned about the, the, the your sort of like showbiz instincts kicking in and being like, ah, this is what am I looking at? Because I, 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 for a few semesters, I taught at a uh, 
at a Southern California Institute of Higher Learning that I will not name, but uh, it, it has a film school that is very much designed to sort of like that they are not farting around with you know Maya Duran. They want to they want to shuttle you right into you know the Sony lot and you, for you to be ready to make studio movies. And so I always kind of took it as a personal challenge to like mess with them and show them something like a movie I brought up last week, Celine and Julie Go Boating, just because I knew they wouldn't know how to wrap their heads around it. And so I love the fact that movies like this can be made and can be made within at least the Indiewood system. I mean, like this isn't a Hollywood movie by any measure, but you know, it was produced by Castle Rock and it was distributed by, oh God, when that Warner Independent logo comes on. I the cried beginning, a little bit. Knife in the heart. Yep, the yep. the rem remembering when like all the studios had like their sort of classics, you know, indie wing um you know but but it, it did but by 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 most measures this is like a mainstream movie being made by mainstream people and i'm so excited that they got to do it in exactly this way and even if they're doing it on the cheap like lee daniel's cinematography is so breathtaking the way that he doesn't you don't even notice how long these shots go there's nothing show-offy about it it's so organic and in the moment but at the same time the moment you step back and go holy shit how long have we gone without a cut you know it's really impressive yeah yeah no i was saying you know a lot of people are uh, a lot of people y'all uh you know dave uh you know you, you're you're saying like a lot of the the story and wishing there was story but for me i think that's what makes this special is that you know we take a step away from manufactured story i think anything other than what we see would seem fake like like when, and the thing I was gonna say that really made me why I connect with this movie. If, if you cut back to like a, I think I was about maybe 10, 11. I went to summer camp once and I really connected with this girl, Sonia McLeod. I remember her name. And I just, I was just so in enamored with this this girl and i would see her every all all the time non-stop and then uh, you know it was the end it was the end of the camp and it was like um and she was like oh well i go back here and she was like this and i was like i'll find you and when i find you and of course we didn't but like this was that like it, it, there wasn't you know there weren't, weren't any conflicts the conflict was the lack of time you have with each other that is that is what they're fighting against is this racing time and the the like unknown of like if you will see each other and i remember like coming into this i was so ready to just be uh dunking on jesse the whole time uh because i hated him from the last one and then the moment he's like i did show up i immediately just shift i was like oh my god that has <laughs> to be the worst and i'm like on his side and like every excuse she came up with i'm like but you left him hanging like it was like it just it was so fun to have me swing the pendulum to the other side in this story and you know maybe this is because i'm coming off of a uh, divorce not too long ago but just the idea of you know being in a marriage and this i and the hardness of I think one of the hard things about divorce that, you know, I'm sure, you know, many movies will capture and and I think movies like Marriage Story will talk about the being within it. But just the mental aspect of it is like it's no it, in reality on paper, it's no different than being in a uh, real relationship. The only difference is how much harder it is to get out of. And so like and so thus, when you come across that like point of where, you know, like, oh, this isn't <laughs> this isn't it. This I may need to go. We may 
may need to break it off. You're kind of stuck in the stasis and you know, and then you're meeting people and you're having these other connections and now your brain's going to what would be. So like seeing him talk about that, like that scene almost like destroyed me. That car scene, everything about that car scene, by the way, is probably, oh my gosh, so good. The line, I feel like I'm running a daycare with a girl I used to date is the most <sighs> devastating description of a marriage. Like a top five in any movie ever, I think. That says so much and it's so like, Ugh, just ice pick into your stomach, you know? And, yeah. and, the, and that Hawk was in the process or had just finished divorcing Uma Thurman at this point. It's like, you can't, I can't even imagine yeah. what those writing sessions must have been <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. Like all oh. the stuff that didn't make it to the screen that they just sort of regurged based on their own experience. I, I watched this with my girlfriend and I am divorced. I div got divorced in 2018. And so we just kept pausing the movie over and over again so I could just like spit spew my guts out about like my experience and how it felt and you know why people go through this and just like this is a, the kind of movie that that encourages conversation and introspection in a way that a movie typically doesn't because it's spectacle first and it's not emotion first and this is a movie that and the whole trilogy or i'm sure the third one because i haven't seen it yet but at least the first two are all about emotion and and you know, things that are said and unsaid and it's very delicate and it's like watching a dance. It's like ballet in a way. And uh, it's very, very evocative. I'd love to, I feel like it's, it's mentioned on here, the idea of Ethan Hawke being more, less annoying than the <laughs> first one. And I think actually his character is such a great reflection of the emotional discussions you're talking about. Like the idea of these are already fascinating that we're getting to revisit these characters nine years later, the nine years where they've had all of this life happen. They've had heartaches, they've had joys, they've had all of this that shaped them and molded them. And then we still get to see quintessential elements that we met in the first one, like um, Delpy's character, Celine has this amazing neurotic quality that is like not tampered down. There were definitely a few times that I was like, girl, you're lucky you're beautiful because <laughs> most, most men will not listen to that for a bit longer. It helps that you look like Julie Delpy. But Ethan Hawke's Jesse was someone who in the first one I told you, I was like, yep, that dude. I knew that dude when we were in college. My friends and I all made bad choices with that dude. I get it. And seeing him tempered down by what his experiences were and that I still felt the quintessential Jesse that came across in the first one, but how he was worn. Like she asked him at one point if she looks any different. And it's so funny because she she looks a little different and she is a little thinner, which is his response. But Ethan Hawke is the one that as soon as it starts and they even begin this film with some flashbacks to the original. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he has like this cherubic dead poet society baby face in the first one. <laughs> and then I look at this weathered looking man and which isn't to say he still doesn't have the charm. He still doesn't have whatever. But I those really cheekbones like can cut paper now. <laughs> yes, those cheekbones are getting out of Gattaca. And he but what Jesse has done and that how he's let his disappointments and everything make him a more compassionate person and less pushy. And they're still sharing so much. But in the first one, it's also such a nice level of like where they are with their emotional maturity and what they're wanting to share with people and like to get into someone's pants or to just in this, it's this man who 
has pain that he needs to share. It's probably in his book as well. It's probably, but that that's fascinating to me because a lot of people in real life get more and more walled off rather than more and more vulnerable and open. So I liked that shape. Um, I, I, I know we're getting near the end and we don't have to answer this, but I feel it would be, I would be remiss to not point out that producer Casey wrote in the question, everyone tell us about your most intimate romantic tryst that has left your heart panging for the rest of your life, which is just a very chill, very easy question Hmm. for a movie podcast. And I love that he did that. That of course we want to share with an audience. My girlfriend is in the room right now, guys. (laughs) I told y'all about Sonia McCloud. I was going to say, yeah, if you probably already did, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Dave always refers to like there's there's the certain past relationship that is your Barry Manilow song, because like all of the great Barry Manilow songs are about how like you know what we're in we 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 were in love once and now we're with other people and it's good but don't you always wonder what might have been? <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, We've all Google searched them. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the funny thing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's the funny thing about living in the world we lived in now. Whereas, like, you know, back then they couldn't find each other for nine years, but now it's a simple Facebook search. Oh, in a hot like, second. Oh, yeah. hey, how you how you doing? Yeah, uh, I, I, I was gonna I, say. I do, I do love. The, sorry, I, I just want to say real quick. Okay. I do love the idea that part of the reason he even wrote the book was just so that she yes. would know that the book existed and come find him. You know? Yes, I know. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> No, uh, my 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 big thing that I was gonna say was that um, that the before trilogy could not be done with black actors <laughs> because <laughs> nine years will pass and they would look exactly the same. Uh, I don't know if you have seen uh, Vanessa Williams, who was in 1992's yeah. Candyman, is we, in his 2020's Candyman, and looks literally the same. We we discussed. <laughs> Tate last week. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Okay. Well, it's time for a final review of Before Sunset. So, would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? Screen it, obviously, being the best, even though now we are staying safer at home and watching things on our huge TVs. So, I'll start with our guest, Dave. Would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? Oh, I, I would definitely screen this. I mean, I think it's it's it was certainly influential in my creative upbringing and important to me in, in in what I became and who I am as a person. So yeah, I, it, this is an important movie for sure. I like that. I'll jump in. I'm also a screen it. I adored this and and was pleasantly surprised. And because I watched it on my um, computer, be, you know how sometimes when you're sitting with your laptop, if like you move, you catch your own reflection in the glare. I fully watched. I think Ify knows exactly what you're talking about. Yes, and it's never a good much thing. Too well, much too well. I fully watched this and caught my own look, and I just had like this gentle smile, like oh, beaming. I had a light beaming look on my face this whole film. Oh, oh ditto. Also, yeah. Also, that- I'm gonna add, we didn't talk. Best ending to any film I've ever seen. Oh, my God. That oh, Nina yes. Simone bit and the whatever. Mm. I was like, I don't know how you're watching this and not in love with Julie Delpy because <laughs> you're falling on some level. But, yeah, I loved the ending. Yeah, this is f- for sure one of the best films of that decade. One of the many highlights of Richard Linklater's career and, and of the of the actors and actors slash writers as well. Um, yeah, this is a movie that uh, it, it ages brilliantly and uh, I think contains a lot of just sort of 
fundamental human truths and it's uh it breezes by very quickly and it's a delight yeah uh yeah with me that yes yeah, definitely a screen it i mean this is already in my if you if you couldn't guess by knowing me and who i am i'm definitely a a homework uh dating guy where i'm always going to be like hey you should check this out uh, and and based on your reaction to it is what i'll what, what how i feel about you and i've already uh sent this to people i'm interested in and be like check out check out the before stuff let me let me know what you think because if you don't like it you're not romantic enough for me and it's not gonna work uh so it's a sweet sword. little boy uh screen it but uh you know we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back, we're going to build a video game out of this movie right after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm -hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight. A great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm -hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. All right, welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Alonzo Duraldi. Dave Schilling. Drea Clark. And for the next segment, I'm bringing together my two passions, film and video games. Back in the day, it was regular practice to adapt a video game from a popular film. Uh, well, uh, before we... Uh, we're going to jump into it, but I want to say that traditionally... All adapted video games have been ass. Yep. Uh, Except GoldenEye, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. E.T., you know, for, is famously is regarded bad. as the worst. But, like, just in general, across the board, if there was a video game adapted from a film, it was not good. Uh, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, all. The Two Towers for PS2 is actually very good. I'll just say that. I, 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 this is so not my bailiwick, but I thought you nerds all loved GoldenEye. Oh yeah, Goldeneye. Golden yes, yeah. that that was that that was beyond a film game. But yes, Goldeneye. That that's the only good James Bond game. All the other ones were ass. Yeah. Alonzo's um, Alonzo's Bailwick is, of course, knowing words like Bailwick. So <laughs> it, it, it balances out. I'm, I'm that kind of nerd. Yes. Uh, so we're gonna bring back this tradition, and we're gonna come up with our ideas for our own video games based on before sunset so i'll let y'all uh if y'all have any ideas let i'll let well, you go but okay I, yeah. I, again this i'm so not the video game person but walk me through this if we there are <laughs> we have to have levels right like there's oh, yeah. like this okay there, there's levels but but video games you know there's 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 a perfect one and we'll build this together because i i, I i'm how familiar are y'all with like visual novel and dating sim video games? Somewhat uh, yeah. familiar. Yeah. Like, so I feel like this would be as such the, a cute. As the producer of Indiecade's Festival of Games. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, for I nine years. You got that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a, I love a good uh, visual novel. I love a good dating sim. And this seems like fu a fun dating sim because 
it for me it would be a game where there's just blocks of text and then you would have to respond <laughs> with your own philosophical block of text hoping to choose the right response so there's yeah. like we we have there's there's cafe level and yes. then there's Ooh. and then there's Ooh. park level and oh, then yeah. there's boat level and i'm thinking like just getting on and off the boat or i, I already can see the video game possibility oh, sure. there see then I, there's I think- car level and then there's finally you, you the big boss is the apartment level see i think you need to expand it a little bit in, in what way expand it expand oh, yeah. the, the narrative okay so obviously oh, that's, that's what i think uh before sunset is a real-time film about you know the hour and a half that these two characters been together and then we're left on the kind of you know the wonderful question of will they or won't they but what if you start with his press his book tour and like mm-hmm. the, the preparations for it and he's like you wake up one day and your wife is in bed next to you and your kid is like throwing toys at you and you gotta sort of like i don't know if you ever played the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy text-based game i from have the 80s <laughs> excellent i knew i knew that you would uh, have uh, played that. <laughs> the only other person. Uh, it's a great game, and it follows the the story of the book, but it expands on the story of the book and the radio show and the TV show in ways that make it a unique piece of. So, so of we would get like his his tour stops in like Prague and Berlin yes. before he even gets to Paris. Yeah. Okay. So by the Ooh. middle of the game, Celine shows up at the bookstore, and then that's where your big decision has to has to be made. But there are other decisions in there, and it can you can maybe never meet her. Oh. There's a there's a there's a version of the game where you never meet her, where you skip that that book signing, or you don't I write like, the book. Go like to the airport. Why? Yeah. I like that as a game possibility. But I feel like games probably leave the female characters sidelined a lot of the times. So I would rather, if we're doing that, I would be happy going back and forth of seeing um, whatever, like, give me some, you guys, sexy advocacy gameplay with Celine, (laughs) Celine and some other, like, conservation activists picketing something. I'm happy going back and forth between them. And then we get the more curious Ooh, are they going to meet? What are we going to get her to the bookstore at the right time? Are right. they going to decide to go? Because then we could play both of them, and it could be like, a, ooh, this could go either way. Moments with the photojournalist, perhaps. Yeah, at the start of the game, you choose who you're going to play as. Okay. Choose your fighter. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like sure. you, there are two. There are two characters you can select, and then you okay. you pick one or the other, and then you play both sides of the story. I Can like you that. play the chauffeur? Can you do that one? No, yes. that's, an, no. that's an NPC. That's a non-playable character. Okay, fine. Here's, here's definitely one of these levels, or maybe all of them, but especially in the first one, I'm happy to bring this, the amount of street artists um, who are accosting them. Like, you have the guy who writes the poem who in the first one, who incidentally, I would have shoved Jesse into the Danube to run off with the German poet who was even <laughs> scrawnier and even greasier. So just- You have the palm reader. Yeah, you have the yeah. palm reader. You have those the theater the actors, guys who are yeah. like trying to mm. hand out their flyers. So I feel like evading the arts or interacting <laughs> with the arts. Exactly, those are distractions yeah, yeah. that can keep you from getting to the apartment. 
See, with me, Ooh, it's, yeah. it's going to be you choose one or the other. Okay, so we are starting, and this is a real-time game. The game takes an hour Ooh. and a half, so you Ooh. have that much time. 80 minutes, you, actually. The movie is 80, 80 minutes. <laughs> that's Ooh. right. That's right. I know. I like these tight movies we're doing. We're not doing mm-hmm. these long ones. <laughs> Fast but and like, Furious. It, <laughs> I know. That, that It is crazy how they extended the length of those movies right before Ooh. our very eyes. We uh, also, I'll, I'll say for the note, we, when we did our Fast and Furious sequence, were, or series, watched like four hours of Fast and Furious a week, or six hours a week. Yeah. Whereas this, I was like, 80 minutes? I love this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I watched it. And then I was uh, an hour early in our Zoom waiting until I realized, no, I had another hour. I was just so used to <laughs> Fast and Furious yeah. leading right up to, yeah. <laughs> to But so wait, you uh, were saying something about the game part of it, though. Oh, the, yeah. The real so time. You play I as, like it as a real yeah, time yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. real sure. time and you play as either character. And the obviously the goal is to win the other's heart. So if you're playing as Jesse, Ooh. you're having these conversations. And like if in the way you can tell you're doing... Uh, better or worse is how often she brings up your flight <laughs> if she keeps reminding <laughs> you that you have a flight you're not doing well oh yeah no that's a game i think i'm gonna call up kotaku now see if we can get some investors uh and uh we'll go to the epic game store uh but yeah <laughs> so Listen, are we gonna have people in the booth dressed as celine and jesse at the consumer electronics show oh, yeah, now or definitely, oh definitely. yes good <laughs> it's time for our staff picks it could be any movie at all Dave, you're our guest, so why don't you start this thing? Actually, off? it could be any movie in 2004, yes. is what I yeah. was told. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I combed through IMDb <laughs> and I looked at all the movies that came out in 2004, a year I remember quite fondly. Uh, and there's there's a ton of good stuff. It's actually a shockingly great year. I Heart Huckabees came out that year, and that's oh, a movie yes. we never talk about anymore, but it's so funny and so good. But I Sublime. decided great score too. Oh, so good! I decided to pick a movie that, in in a way, is the antithesis of what we discussed today. A movie that is so fanciful and inauthentic. I, I think about, you chose the movie I was going to choose. <laughs> well, you'll see. Uh, I chose a movie that meant a lot to me for the opposite reasons that this that before a sunrise or sunset meant a lot to me and that is garden state oh okay okay so i didn't pick what you chose no garden state is a movie that was like an atomic bomb dropped on the culture of my generation and changed a lot of the ways that people interacted with each other it influenced people's musical taste to a, a significant degree and kind of opened my eyes to a lot of other music that I hadn't other uh, listened to before because I was from a small town where there was a classic rock station, a hip-hop station, and Christian music station. And Garden State was like this this weird thing that was very cinematic and very authorial and had lots of... Um, you know, shots that drew attention to themselves. They'll, I'll never forget, you know, the, the shot of Zach Braff in his little shirt and it matches the, the wallpaper and like all of these things that seemed cool at the time to me when I was 20 years old, but maybe haven't aged super well now. 
that movie. It's, it's I don't, the vote for Pedro of love stories. It, it basically is. Yeah, it's this was the, that year, two thousand four. When you look at it, there's so many movies that were small movies, low budgets that had movie stars or TV stars in them or became, you know, franchises like Napoleon Dynamite. Like, that was a, a shockingly good year for independent cinema. And Garden State was a movie that only could have come out in 2004, that was about 2004, that has aged poorly because of the ways that we look at male-female relationships and romance differently now, but is a time capsule of that moment and even though it maybe isn't the best movie in in hindsight it is the best encapsulation of what 2004 meant for me and i think a lot of people my age i i malign it all the time i make fun of it on twitter constantly <laughs> and yet i <laughs> i had a poster i had the soundtrack i was obsessed with that movie so well, I this think is the day. most 2004 movie. It had it, it had Peter Sarsgaard and Method Man. So there were you know <laughs> they're bonuses. And Natalie Portman and the Shins and the guy from Scrubs and Ian Holm. It was crazy. <laughs> um. Well, the movie that I thought you were gonna do, which is funny, just because the setup of um a, a love story that was fanciful, but that was coming from the opposite direction is what I chose for my staff pick, which is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm. And um, it's uh, the it's di- it's directed by Michel Gondry. It's visually fanciful. And but to me, it has similarities to the before trilogy in the sense of analyzing the the mech you know, the mechanics behind a relationship and how many deep conversations go into that. But I also there's a sci-fi fantasy element to Eternal Sunshine that I do think grew well, maybe in a way the Garden State like for you didn't. But for me, the idea of, um, oh, if if I love any sci-fi that's set in the real world, it just has a premise that is um interjected in it and this being oh you could have if you could have a love affair that went wrong just removed from your memory would you and how would that look if you did and so i love this movie and if you haven't seen eternal sunshine i highly recommend checking it out you have waited 16 long years now is your time well when you when you said uh fanciful and inauthentic i kind of hoped you were going to say torque uh which is (laughs) (laughs) your choice no it's not my choice but like i say if you miss us talking about uh fast and the furious torque is a movie i wish had spawned a similar franchise because it's bonanas (laughs) uh no my 2004 choice is like i heart huckabees a movie that we don't talk about anymore that i don't know why we don't and that is kinsey um Bill Condon's biopic about the groundbreaking sex researcher played by Liam Neeson. And uh, this is a really, I think, smart movie about sex in terms of the way that it is something that impacts our lives and that in this country we have still to this day a really hard time talking about and implementing um, knowledge and understanding and acceptance about. And... I think it really does a great job of kind of painting uh, a a post-World War II America where people were so afraid of nonconformity and so afraid of anything that was sort of beyond this very stale regimented conformity um, and, and how 
Kinsey's research and the way that he was able to ask questions and and kind of create data about you know human sexuality, how it really just changed the world and sort of led to you know the sexual revolution and so many other things that have that have improved society in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, and and look uh, again, Peter Sarsgaard, he's got that scene where where he and Kinsey finally make out that is like. <gasps> So yeah, if you've never seen Kinsey, uh, it's a it's a doozy. Good stuff. Mm. Well, for the first time in the history of staff picks, I've bumped heads with one of the hosts because Eternal Sunshine was going to be my pick. Oh! But it was taking and thus requiring me to make a, a good switch up. And you know what? Why not? This is this is this is the time to really you know talk we're, we're talking about movies that are oft forgotten we've also talked about movies that are perfect sequels and that's why my pick for 2004's movie that you should see would be shrek 2 uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no more of a solid sequel than the than than the cameron diaz mike myers vehicle uh, you know, uh, Shrek 2, uh, solid sequel. Uh, this is you know, an amazing I, choice, but you adding and going the extra level to say there is no more, a, like it's the best of the sequels of all films. Yeah, yeah. Godfather 2, Aliens, Never Terminator 2, Shrek 2, oh Gremlins 2. Hey, it's better than Shrek 1, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it landed, it stuck the landing of a sequel of a movie that I didn't think would get a sequel and uh yeah uh i believe regarded by most as the best in the series of shrek films. is is this the first time we get to see shrek in human form because if memory serves yes, shrek yes, in human form is. can get it yeah yeah because they have yeah. the whole like fairy tale hollywood which was a fun little bit and then mm. he believes that he needs to look human to win her over and right. he's just like this like thick jawed human uh, shrek man. is a snack dude uh-huh <laughs> oh he is thick with both c's yeah yeah <laughs> So uh, now it's time for five-star reviews. If you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it on air. And this one's from Jakey727. Is there, is there a better movie chat show out there? Don't think so. Ify, Drea, and Alonzo and the rotating panel of guests bring the knowledge every week without even a whiff of snobbery. No small task. They've got great taste and a great dynamic. If you're a fan of film spotting, Pop Culture Happy Hour, The Big Picture, or Slate Gap Fest, you must, in all caps, MUST give this crew a listen. They're the tops. Wow, got me. Thank, Thank you, Jakey. Yeah. Oh, man. Jakey, truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. And Dave, thank you so much for joining Yay! us. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, I would like to plug my podcast, Full Court Chat, which you were on, Iffy, and you were yeah. very funny. It's uh, oh, it's it an a improv time. comedy podcast, which is uh, really the antithesis of this podcast in that it's, uh, you know, people pretending to be other people. So uh, please listen, even if you don't like sports. It's a sports podcast. Uh, satire podcast but if you don't like sports it's still funny i still think it's very very funny and uh yes i, I, I listen to at least iffy's episode at the bare minimum <laughs> that's it at least. if you only no, listen you to that must. one that's fine i don't but care but it will get you hooked yeah it'll, you'll be like i gotta hear all the other ones 
the Max Fun Drive is over. And before we go, I want to say a big thank you to all those who have joined as members. Yay. You guys are truly keeping this show going. And if you'd like to support our show, please go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jizoin. It's actually join. I added the Jizoin. <laughs> it's join. I, I just realized I should clarify. So you go to the right site. It is MaximumFun.org forward slash join but i would like you to jizzoin yes you can jizzoin any time of the year yeah uh but that is the correct url (laughs) again the number for the who shop line is wsy 803-1664 and if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show like you want us to stop saying jizzoin tweet at us (laughs) at who shot your pod our facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash who shot your podcast or send us an email at who shot you at maximumfun.org our producer is casey o'brien our senior producer is laura swisher and this is a production of maximum fun bye-bye MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.